0: Let's begin today with a quote from Martin Luther. This is what Luther said. If, we, if I profess with loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the word of God except that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, well, then I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved and disgrace if he flinches at that point. As a church, we want to be faithful and not flinch as the battle rages around the idea of identity today. We will not avoid talking about those areas where the devil is attacking at this very moment. And so we're committed to be convictional when preaching about sin and compassionate towards sinners, which includes me and you, We're going to be unshaken in our faith and unashamed of the gospel as we remain anchored to the truth, even as the waves of cultural change wash over us and the undercurrents and riptides of an untethered culture sweep myriads of people out to sea. Many today seem obsessed with identity. From personality tests to Enneagram inventories, it seems like everyone is searching for something to tell them who they are and where they belong. This week, I did some research, which means I did a Google search, (laughs) and I just typed in this phrase or this question, what do you identify as? Now, I thought the number of results would be high, but I was shocked, unprepared, when it came back with 8.6 billion, with a B, hits. Identity is quite powerful because it relates to who we are and why we're here. It's how we define ourselves. It clarifies our purpose in life. And contrary to our culture's confusion, identity is not self-declared. It's not self-developed. It's given to us by our maker and by our redeemer. So the topic of identity is a huge issue in our culture today. Many suggest that we can find our identity by looking inward Others proclaim that identity is wrapped up in what we do, our occupation, or with what we have, our possessions. Still others equate identity with gender or sexuality. James Jeffrey writes this, the great tragedy in such thinking is its reductionism, It shrinks a person from being an intelligently designed, unique and beautiful image bearer of God to the mere product of sexual instincts. Is there anything more animalistic than reducing a person to the sum of their sexual desires? Now, before I go much further, I need to take a drink of water. (laughs) Let me be quick to say We are not out to clobber sinners. We're not. While we're not affirming of people in their sin, we're all about welcoming sinners. And so today, maybe you're sitting here or engaging online and you're struggling with gender or sexuality issues. We want you to know that we're here to help. You see, the Bible says we're all sinners, and Jesus died for all sins. So for us to begin in thinking about this, let's just ponder a few questions. Can greedy people come to church? Of course. Can those who've committed adultery attend? Absolutely. How about gossips? Well, I'm sure we have our fair share. Listen, if you struggle in any way, you are welcome here. And yet, we will not affirm anyone in their iniquity. We only affirm Jesus and not any other human because none of us are without sin. Let me say it another way. We don't celebrate sin, but we welcome sinners. And so the glory of the gospel is that Jesus grants forgiveness and freedom along with healing and hope when we repent of our sins and receive him as our Lord and Savior. Recently, on the briefing podcast, Al Mohler highlighted the Oxford Safe Churches Project. This was published in the Times of London just two weeks ago. Here's the headline, LGBT ratings for churches. The story goes like this, quote, and I'm referencing the article, Oxford students have rated local churches based on how safe they are for gay and transgender The students awarded scores after analyzing sermons and blog posts and speaking to worshipers. So here's how they did this. Oxford arguably would be like the second top university in England, and so these students spread out, listened to sermons online, and talked to people in various churches, and they decided to use like a traffic light system. They gave churches either a red light, a yellow light, or a green light. So, using that system, churches like Edgewood would receive a red light. Why? Well, because we hold to the biblical teaching that the practice of homosexuality is sinful. In this scale, even though we strive to be compassionate towards sinners, Edgewood would receive a red light because we contend for biblical Christianity, speaking truth about sin and offering grace to sinners. According to their scale, churches that receive a green light have, quote, so this is a quote from the article in the Times of London, quote, they have internalized a queer identity and a large number of LGBTQ plus people lead the church. That's a green light. Now listen to what Moeller said in response to all that. People are going to be taking names and they're going to be keeping score and the entire criterion for being declared on the right side of history, so to speak, is full, unequivocal support of the normalization of all LGBT behaviors, relationships, the entire agenda. It's something like an alarm going off. It's a siren that's now being heard. And then Moeller says this. It's coming for your town. In one sense, it's coming for your church. And we're going to know where every church stands in very short order. Brothers and sisters, this is not a slippery slope moment. This is a tipping point moment. In order to bring this home, Here's some ways in which the evil one is doing his insidious work of attacking identity issues in our children and in our grandchildren. And it's important for parents and grandparents to be informed and equipped. In two weeks, when we end this series, we're gonna have a panel discussion with parents and grandparents, and we're gonna focus on how do we apply this, how do we take what we've been learning out about a biblical worldview and help our children and our grandchildren. Speaking of grandparenting, I highly recommend the Legacy Grandparenting Summit that's going to be held at Grandview Church in Davenport, October 21st and 22nd. Uh, We hosted that conference. We did that for two years. It's a national conference. It's simulcast. um, I encourage you to check that out. Now, I came across some deeply disturbing information that I want to pass along because it deals with our children. But before I do, I don't want to assume that you know my heart. And so let me just try to explain a little bit. I'm not prone to be an alarmist. I'm not wired that way. But I am alarmed. And so I'm going to sound an alarm. So here's the first. I could pick many examples. I'm going to choose three. Disney Junior's series Muppet babies, aired an episode in 2021 showing Gonzo wearing a dress to a royal ball. Gonzo names himself Gonzarella, and he says, quote, I don't want you to be upset with me, but I don't want to do things just because that's the way they've always been done either. I want to be me. Miss Piggy apologizes. And she tells Gonzo, well, it wasn't very nice of us to tell you what to wear. Then she says she wants to get rid of the royal handbook. Ooh, that's chilling, because it makes me think of the Bible. She wants to get rid of the royal handbook and make a better one, to which Summer Penguin remarks, and in our new handbook Everyone can come to the ball dressed however they like. So you think, oh, that's just a cartoon. Let me share with you what the executive producer said about it. Quote, even early on, we wanted to do an episode where Gonzo just showed up to the playroom wearing a skirt. And it was no big deal. No one cared or questioned it. And it was so wonderfully gonzo. Listen to these next words. They're chilling. We hope he inspires kids watching to be 347% of themselves. I don't even know what that means. In their own way too. Second example, producers of Sesame Street have gone all in on Pride Month. Here's just one quote, quote, everyone is always welcome on Sesame Street. This month and every month, we want to uplift and celebrate the LGBTQIA+, plus members of our community, from our family to yours, happy, hashtag, Pride Months. They added an S to it because they believe every month should be Pride Month. Example number three, and this is very current. Earlier this year, the makers of Paw Patrol released a spin-off series called Rubble and Crew. That series is now in its second season, and the series recently introduced the show's first non-binary character, River. The episode aired on August 22nd. That's just weeks ago. Lynn's Ammer, a writer for the show, leads an organization called Queer Kid Stuff. When asked about the character River that she wrote into the show, these are her words. Quote, I wanted to write a non-binary character that was aspirational. Aspiration means that people would aspire to, that kids would want to be like. I wanted to write a non-binary character that was aspirational and incredibly cool, someone for the pups and kids at home to look up to. I'm also compelled to briefly mention, and it pains me to do so, I don't do this with any pleasure. I do this with great sadness. Sadness how Christians in our culture are capitulating to culture. I've been challenged by something Albert Moeller said this week. Christians should find no joy in addressing theological error. But passivity in the face of serious error amounts to complicity. So here are just two examples. I could have chosen more. How many of you remember the group Cademan's Call? It's a contemporary Christian group. Derek Webb, former lead singer, has just released a song called Boys Will Be Girls, which celebrates gender transition and drag. Here's the final verse. So if a church won't celebrate and love you, they are believing lies that can't save you or them. And this next one, I take no joy in sharing this. North Point Community Church in Atlanta, under the leadership of Pastor Andy Stanley, recently hosted a conference with practicing homosexuals as speakers i listened to andy stanley's sermon from last weekend because there's if you've been online you've seen it the sermon he preached after the conference i heard him defend the conference and imply that homosexual marriage is okay And you're like, why are you calling him out? Here's why. Because many of you have read or listened to Andy Stanley. And I'm cautioning you. We've removed him from our Right Now media. We did that several months ago. So my guess is this long introduction has gotten your attention. We're calling this message, Your Identity is Essential. Here's our main idea. Get this. Settle it in here so that you know it when you're out there. Our world teaches that people can be whoever they identify themselves to be. That's what our world teaches. The word of God teaches you are who God says you are. John Stone Street offers this commentary. Our real, well, I I just want to, the, the clapping there, I, I think I understand what's behind it because you, you, want, you want truth to be told in our culture, but you know who you should clap for? Our teenagers and our young adults. Yeah. So us, us old people, I mean, it's hard for us too, but can you imagine growing up today in our culture and standing up for purity? Purity and saying that you're standing on the biblical definition of marriage and that God made two genders, that's who we should be clapping for and praying for and encouraging in our ministry here, our children's ministry all the way up through Mainspring. John Stone Street offers this commentary. Our real cultural crisis is a catastrophic, culture-wide loss of meaning Now we are living with the existential results. This is what we have now of a culture untethered from God and therefore untethered from any fixed reference point for truth, morality, here's the word, identity, and meaning. By turning identity into a self-made sort of thing, into whoever we want to be or whoever we say that we are or feel that we are, well, that's no grounding for dignity and value. Since we must always begin at the beginning, we turn again to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. This is the fixed reference point that you and I must be tethered to. And I'm drawing some insight from a couple messages I preached a year ago from a series we called Back to the Beginning, where we walked through the first three chapters of Genesis, verse If you want to do a deeper dive on this topic, you could go to our website or our app and read or listen or uh, watch the sermon called Gender Matters, where we took an entire message and focused on that. That was preached this past November. For our purposes today, open up your Bibles to Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said... Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Would you notice how this begins? Then God said. It's as if there's this solemn pause after God formed and filled the earth. You can read about that in the verses that come right before this. And as God is considering creating man and woman, you get the sense that there's anticipation building and we get ready to hear what God is going to say next. Let us make man. That phrase let us is an emphatic imperative. It can be translated as we will it's like God is consulting within himself before creating man. Now, up until this point, God's speaking has been intentionally measured. You see this phrase, let there be and there was. With the creation of man, oh, it becomes more intimate, magnified. The plural use of us is early evidence for the Trinity, Trinity as is the Hebrew name Elohim which is in the plural. The word said is singular, signifying that there is plurality within oneness. One pastor captures it well. God, who is one, communes with himself, the father to the son, the son to the spirit, the spirit to the father, and in perfect agreement, Adam and Eve were created. By the way, in November, we're going to be preaching a series on who the Holy Spirit is and what he is does now the word make means to accomplish or complete it referred to an activity with a distinct purpose or goal in mind the word for man adam adam that's the generic term for mankind but it's also the proper name adam adam which refers to the first created male Humans were the last of God's created creatures. They're the crowning achievement of creation. So consider animals. They're made according to their kinds. Humans, well, they're in a class way above all other creation. We are the crescendo of God's creative genius. And in addition, the creation of man and woman is narrated with greater detail in Genesis chapter 2. No other part of creation is given this much attention. Okay, look now at verse 27. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male. And female, he created them. In the Hebrew, there's 12 words arranged in three lines, each with its own poetic repetition and cadence. Well, just as a poem is often used to accentuate something with carefully chosen words and images, so here God celebrates with superlative language how men and women are created in his image and they find their identity in him. You have been made in the image of God and therefore, you have dignity, you have value, and you have worth because of who you are, or more accurately, whose you are. Some of you don't really believe that. But you matter because you have been made by the maker. The word so connects us to verse 26. So look again how it begins. So, God created, the word so expresses agreement or confirmation. Would you observe three times the word created is used, thus emphasizing the uniqueness of God, creating mankind as male and female. From this point on, humanity is divided into two groups, male and female. In addition, the fact that we are made in God's image is stated twice for emphasis. Let's ponder that phrase, male and female, he created them. In Hebrew, it literally reads like this, as male and female created he them. Males and females are equal but not identical because their biological sex is separate and distinct. God created males and females on purpose with different purposes. We've we've been made differently by design with distinct capacities and roles to fulfill the divine mandate to serve as stewards of the earth. There are at least three primary characteristics which distinguish males from females. First of all, different reproductive organs. Secondly, distinctive external anatomy. And thirdly, the presence or absence of a Y chromosome. So, gender is designed by the grand designer at conception. From our DNA to our reproductive organs, as such, God is the creator and the giver of gender. Males and females do not have interchangeable anatomy, and those differences are not inconsequential. Both The Bible and biology makes this clear. This week, I read an insightful post called, Does God Care About Gender Identity?, written by Colin Hansen and Sam Ferguson. It's been dubbed the gender revolution. You see it all around. Gender identity has been disconnected from biology, What you feel about your body matters more than what you can see and touch. Children who are encouraged to believe they were born into the wrong gendered body now expect and even demand support from parents and other authorities as they seek life-altering drugs and surgeries to confirm the gender with which they identify. The phrase according to its kinds or according to their kinds is used 10 times in Genesis 1 to indicate there are separate species and genders which are distinct and different. Clearly, God established categories of creation. In addition, the word separate is used five times in the first chapter and it means to set apart. It's a word of distinction, of differentiation. So the creation account in Genesis chapter one shows how God separated many things. Think with me, he separated light from darkness, the waters from above, from the waters below. He separated the dry land from the waters below. He separated the day from the night and he separated humankind into two biological sexes. God's way is always best. And contrary to the thinking in our current culture, binary is not bad. It's beautiful. Gender is not just a social construct or something one chooses as their identity. Oh, consider with me the beauty of Psalm 139. For you form my inward parts. You did it, God. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. Let me say it another way your biological sex and gender are fixed and finite, they're not fluid. So your identity is wrapped up in being an image bearer of God. You are who God says you are. You are not who you identify as. You are not the result of some coincidental cosmic accident, nor have you somehow evolved from a single-celled organism over the space of millions of years. No, you are more than just matter, and you matter greatly to the Almighty And since you are the product of divine design, you have been created with dignity, with value, with worth and purpose. And so as humans, our worth and our identity is intrinsic. Why? Because we've been created in the image and likeness of God to display his character. We don't have to work to establish our worth. We are already worthy because of who made us. According to Isaiah 43, 7, the main reason we've been created is to show forth God's glory. You're like, why am I here? Why do I exist? Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, here it is, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Let's hit it again. Our world teaches that people can be whoever they identify themselves to be. The word of God teaches you are who God says you are. Christopher Yuan was a practicing homosexual for many years, and his mom prayed faithfully for him. After serving in prison and going through a bout of drugs, he fell to his knees and repented of his sins. And he now walks with Jesus And he teaches on this topic. Christopher Yuan has a a, a new project out. It's called the Holy Sexuality Project. Consider what he says. The world is shouting at your kids these days, telling them any and all types of sexuality should be accepted, even celebrated, but my identity should not be defined by my sexuality. Sexuality is not who we are, it's what we feel and do. It describes our experience, get this, but not our essence. My identity should not be grounded in my desires. My identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, be holy, for I am holy holy. By the way, this fall, Pastor Chris will be taking our students through this material on Sunday mornings. We also have copies of Yuan's book available in our resource center. In order to go deeper this week, many of us are in growth groups. There's groups meeting right now. There'll be more groups meeting the next hour. Um, Beth and I lead a group during the week, and we're going through the same material, the same topics in our group so that we can take the sermon and live it out, flesh it out in our world. Uh, One of the statements our groups will be studying this week goes like this. What you do doesn't determine who you are. Who you are determines what you do. And the challenge there is for us to live out who God has made us to be. Friends, when we repent and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Jesus takes our rottenness and transfers to us his righteousness. We have been reconciled, ransomed, and redeemed. And in the process, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, we become someone we have never been before. This is beautiful. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 3.18 teaches we can be transformed today as we gaze upon the glory of God and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let me suggest four applications. Number one, if you're confused about your gender or you're living in a state of sexual brokenness, Remember, Jesus gave his body to recover and restore those who feel alienated from their bodies. After describing a long list of sins, 1 Corinthians 6, says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Of God. The gospel changes everything, and the gospel can change you. Number two, Edgewood is a hospital for hurting sinners. People might label us a certain way, give us a certain color on the stoplight, because we strive to speak the truth about sin, but we also speak the truth about our Savior who gave his life for sinners like me and sinners like you. So when you confess Christ, he brings you into the body of Christ, the church. I love what a 10-year-old put on her card last week. There's cards in front of you, and, and on occasion people will write notes that they want the staff to know, and most of those are encouraging, not always, But this one from a 10-year-old, oh, I treasure this. Listen to what she said. Quote, if we did not have a church, then we would not learn about God. We would not know who he even is. So we need a church to learn about Jesus and God. (laughs) I love that. Reminded me of a podcast I listened to this week. It had a very good title. When having a biblical worldview is lonely. and my guess, it's lonely where you live. Now, maybe in your family, everybody's following Christ, but in a lot of families, that's not the case. Or you're with extended family, and you're the outlier. You're the hater. You're the person that doesn't include others because you're standing on biblical convictions. Think of our students, how lonely that must be. That's why we need the church. That's why it's good for us to gather and hear God's perspective on what God has to say about topics that our culture is just messing up. We need each other church. I appreciated one commentator's insight, quote, Our new fluid selves have yielded only homelessness in existence without roots in either place or person. There's a place for you in this place. Number three, brothers and sisters, we must be a church that speaks truthfully while tenderly offering hope and healing to those who've been talked into pursuing their identity apart from Christ. I think we're gonna see many who are going to be living with regret for decisions that they've made, And they don't know where to turn. They need redemption and restoration in Jesus Christ. And in the process, as Elisa Childers says, let's remember as we pursue Christ to keep a sharp mind, a soft heart, and thick skin. (laughs) Number four, find your identity as an image bearer of God and as one who's been redeemed by the Savior. At the heart of what happens when you become a Christian, get this, you receive a new identity. So in Jesus, we don't lose our true selves. We become our true selves only in him. Your true identity is ultimately based on what God has done for you. One author says it like this, Christian identity is received. It's not achieved taking enormous pressure off us to perform and merit our affirmation. I don't know if you're like this, but I can remember books sometimes that go back 20, 30 years. I don't remember everything in them, but the book was so meaningful that the message is in my mind. That happened to me with a book I read some 30 years ago. It's written by David Needham. Here's the title, Birthright Christian. Do you know who you are? are and I went back and pondered his premise here it is a Christian is not simply a person who gets forgiveness who gets to go to heaven who gets the Holy Spirit who gets a new nature mark this a Christian is a person who's become someone he was not before A Christian, in terms of his deepest, here's the word, here's our topic, in terms of his deepest identity, is a saint, a born child of God, a divine masterpiece, a child of light, a citizen of heaven. I had the joy Friday night of speaking at Celebrate Recovery. After the message, a man wanted to speak with me, and I took him into the kitchen, and I talked to him, and I reviewed the gospel with him, and I said, are you ready to repent of your sins and surrender yourself to Jesus? He said, yes. And standing by the, the sinks in that part of the kitchen, he bowed his head and prayed to receive Christ. When he was done, I told him, you are now a new Christian. You are a new creation. That night was his spiritual birthday. Let's go back to Martin Luther. Before his conversion, he was tormented by the guilt of his iniquity. Some of you are living there even today. You're just filled with guilt and shame. I grew up in an environment like that. The church that I was part of, man, there was so much guilt and so much shame. Well, Martin Luther, his sins were always before him, and it paralyzed him. It sucked the joy out of his life. While reading the book of Romans, it all clicked for him. And when he repented and received the free gift of salvation by God's grace, he said he felt before like he was a slave to sin and he didn't know how to break free from it. After he was saved by God's grace, he renamed himself, he gave himself a different name, Martin Eleutheros, which means in the Greek, Martin the free, Martin, the free. Let me come back to the grand story of the Bible from a couple weeks ago. Uh, we've taken those four main themes. Perhaps you remember them if you were here. If not, uh, four main themes. If you can remember these, you get the main storyline of the Bible, creation, the fall, sin, redemption what Jesus came to do and restoration that God's going to bring it all to conclusion he reigns you see that in the last two chapters especially of the book of Revelation and so these bookmarks are for you we printed several hundred of them they're in both lobbies I encourage you to pick one up we also have some evangelism questions on the back related to each of these themes so under creation You could ask someone, how do you think the world began under fall? Well, what do you think went wrong? People know today something's wrong with our world. Number three, is there any hope? And number four, what do you think happens when we die? So take one of these, keep it with you, use that as a resource. I want to end today by reading from a document. It's called, I'm a Child of the King. It's written by Dr. Ed Lemance. Uh, it's so helpful that it, you're going to want a copy of it when we're done. And so I contacted Dr. Lemance and he gave us permission, and so we made hundreds of copies. Those are available out in the lobby as well. I encourage you to pick one up. Uh, for our purposes this morning, I'm not going to read all the references, but on this side are all the scripture references that these statements. Come from, and I would encourage you to pick one of these up and spend time looking up each of those references. You'll worship while you do so. And so I'm going to read it first, it'll be up on the screen. So I'd like you to hear it, look at the words, ponder it, and then when I'm done, I'm going to invite you to stand and we'll read it together. I didn't want to have a stand right now and you're reading something, you don't know what it is, right? So you, but I, I want you to ponder it and, and I want us to declare it together because I think we need to get these truths in our minds. So you listen as I begin because of who Jesus Christ is and because he is my savior and my Lord, I am a child of the king of kings and Lord of lords seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. I am chosen, accepted, and included, a citizen of heaven and a member of God's household. I am loved by God unconditionally and without reservation. I belong to him, having been bought by him with the precious blood of Jesus. I have eternal life, and I will be saved from all of God's wrath to come, guaranteed. I am a Christian. I'm not just different in what I do, get this, my identity has changed. Who I am has changed. Everything has become brand new. I am a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. I have access to him anytime, anywhere, for any reason. I am God's creation, his workmanship. I was created by him and for him, so who I am and what I do matters. I am spiritually alive. I've been set free from the fear of death, and I've been given life to live and enjoy to the full. I am forgiven completely, totally, and absolutely. I've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun. I've been set free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. I am an enemy of Satan and at war with spiritual forces of evil, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. What doesn't end there? There's more. We hear these phrases from Romans 8, if God is for me, it doesn't matter who or what stands against me because nothing and no one can separate me from the love of Christ, not hurt pain, loss, problem, or brokenness, not persecution, trouble, difficulty, or danger, not abandonment, abuse, addictions, or appetites, not desires, food, sexuality, or relationships, not life or death, angels or demons, not my past, the present or the future, no power, no person, no place, not anything in all creation, not even Satan himself shall prevail. I am in the hands of Jesus, in the hands of God, and nothing and no one can snatch me out of God's hands I will fear no evil because God is with me and he has promised to never leave me nor forsake me God's presence is with me everywhere I go to the heights of heaven through the valley of the shadow to the ends of the earth forever and always I am a child of the king and choose this day to live as one I'm gonna invite you to stand and let's recite that together today like we mean it, like you believe it, like we're gonna live these truths out this week. Let's read together. I am a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. I am chosen, accepted, and included, a citizen of heaven and a member of God's household, I am loved by God unconditionally and without reservation. I belong to him, having been bought by him with the precious blood of Jesus. I have eternal life and will be saved from all of God's wrath to come, guaranteed. I am a Christian. I'm not just different in what I do, my identity has changed, who I am has changed. Everything has become brand new. I'm a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. I have access to him anytime, anywhere, for any reason. I am God's creation, his workmanship. I was created by him and for him, so who I am and what I do matters. I am spiritually alive. I've been set free from the fear of death. I've been given life to live and enjoy to the full. I am forgiven, completely totally and absolutely. I've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun. I have been set free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. I'm an enemy of Satan and at war with spiritual forces of evil, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If God is for me, it doesn't matter who or what stands against me because nothing and no one can separate me from the love of Christ. Not hurt, pain, loss, problem, or brokenness. Not persecution, trouble, difficulty, or danger. Not abandonment, abuse, addictions, or appetites. Not desires, food, sexuality, or relationships. Not life or death angels or demons not my past the present or the future no power no person no place not anything in all creation not even satan himself shall prevail i am in the hands of jesus in the hands of god and nothing and no one can snatch me out of god's hands i will fear no evil because god is with me and he has promised to never leave me nor forsake me God's presence is with me wherever I go, to the heights of heaven, through the valley of the shadow, to the ends of the earth, forever and always. I am a child of the King, and I choose this day to live as one. Do you believe that, church? Yes. Amen. Amen. Pick up one of these as you leave today and settle this truth. Our world teaches that people can be whoever they identify themselves to be. The word of God teaches you are who God says you are.